Right. Well, if you weren't here at the very beginning of the service, just once again, good morning from my side. If you're visiting with us for the first time, my name is Jason, and it is my privilege, along with Sue, to lead this congregation. We are in part three of a series that we are doing on a short little letter in the book of, uh, or rather towards the end of the New Testament, uh, on the book of First. Peter. And so just to give you a little bit of background, this is written to Christians that have been dispersed. Uh, They're experiencing levels of persecution. And the first week, we took a look at how we should not be surprised by suffering, because this is still relevant today. Like, let's not be surprised by suffering. Let's not be surprised with any kind of opposition. Uh, We can actually be secure. We looked at a couple of reasons why we can be secure in God, regardless of circumstances. Uh, Last week, we took a look at this idea of actually being set apart. Um, The word holiness, which is used in uh, the passage that we looked at is often uh, kind of abused or misused and, and, and often used almost as a bit of a weapon against people, even against ourselves sometimes, but at its, at its core, it's referring to actually being set apart. God has set us apart for His purposes. So He, sets, he wants to separate us from things that are going to harm and cause damage, and He wants to draw us towards things that are going to lead to life and where we can be a blessing. Uh, today in part three, as we move on, I wanted to take a look at how we are invited to mature in the mess. Mature in the mess. I don't know about you, but sometimes I am waiting for everything to be ordered. I love order. People around me wouldn't necessarily think so, because sometimes I cause disorder, but I, I love order. I love it when things like just are in their place, it's systematic, it's black and white, it's all as it should be. There may be a small element of perfectionism in me, which is another word, you know, another way of saying that you're annoying and a little bit OCD and hard to please and hard to be satisfied. Uh, and so I like order. One of the passages in Proverbs that I think God has had remind me of more than any other is, is the passage, I think it's in Proverbs 14, where it says that an empty stable stays clean, but it produces no harvest. The idea being that you actually need oxen in order to produce a harvest. So you need oxen that can help work and, and work the fields and, and drag the plows, etc. Um, but how many of you know that if you have oxen in a stable, there's going to be some mess? That's a polite way of saying there's going to be some poo, there's going to be some urine, there's going to be, there's going to be a mess. And so I've often sensed God reminding me and, and, and kind of posing the question to me, do I want a clean but empty life? Or do I want... Am I willing to accept a, do I want a full but messy life? And so sometimes I think we need an increased capacity for mess, not, not to go and cause a mess just for the sake of it, and definitely not to cause a mess because we're negligent and lazy. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about when we're doing what we can, but there is still an element of messiness. Life is messy. If it's not messy at all, if you have full control of every element of your life, I would, I would encourage you to consider whether or not you're allowing any flexibility in your life. Are you allowing people to have any real interaction in your life because people are messy? I don't even know that families are messy. I mean, forget, forget the people that work and at school, just family. Anyone discovered that friends can be messy? Anyone been around church long enough to know that church can be messy? I really wish it wasn't. Did I mention that I'm idealistic? I, I know how church should be, right? It should be perfect. I mean, it should. It should be perfect. If we're following Jesus, we should all be perfectly following him with the perfect hearts, with the perfect fruit of the Spirit. We're all perfectly loving, perfectly kind, perfectly peaceful, perfectly uh, self-controlled. 
I'd love that. But you're not that. And neither am I. And so if you've ever gotten involved in church, you discover that there's some mess. Then you move on to whether you're at school or at work or just you're living like the vast majority of the world in, in an online space where there's just so much mess, right? So how do we mature in spite of the mess? How do we avoid waiting for everything to be clean and neat and tidy and ideal and, and perfect? And I, I think that this is some of the stuff that Peter is addressing in the passage that we're going to look at in chapter 2. So First Peter chapter 2. Just so you know, in, in case you're able to pay full attention as you read the, these next several verses, you might notice that he, he gets a little bit distracted every now and then. He goes on a little, bit of a, a little bit of a riff, but then he comes back to the main idea. And I want to look at three main ideas just now in terms of how I believe Peter is inviting us to mature in the mess. Let's first start off where we ended off last week, which is First uh, Peter. Sorry, guys, the reference might be wrong. It's wrong in my notes. First Peter chapter 2, verse 1. I really hope we're... Okay, so it says there's Second Peter. That's my fault. I copied and pasted incorrectly. You see, it's not perfect. It's messy. It's messy. And, and Ryan, who is my trusty helper, helper, was not perfect enough to notice my imperfection and to correct it from Second Peter. It's, it's, it's my fault. It is correct in your version, those of you that are following that. All right, so 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. It says, so get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. This is, this is, again, continuing the idea that to be holy, to be set apart, is not just to, it's, it's to move away from things that are destructive and to move towards things that are life-giving. Verse 2, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Verse four, you're coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones. He'd be writing this to any follower of Jesus. You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests and priestesses. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, this is where he gets a little bit distracted. I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Still very important. Yes, you who trust in him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has actually now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. Look at the identity language. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests. It's also plural, by the way. You can show others, sorry, holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness. Like there should be a change in our lives if we've been living without following Jesus and then we actually make a decision to follow him. There should be a change. He called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. He's saying even though you are foreigners and aliens in these lands, you've, you've been persecuted, you've been dispersed, you still have an identity as his people. 
Once you receive no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you, as, again, here's the idea of temporary residents and foreigners, both literally and metaphorically. So they are literally foreigners in foreign lands, but also they're not home yet. They're not in heaven yet. That's where everything will be perfect, the new heaven, the new earth. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, in many cases we'd say when they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Now, I want to remind you of a statement we make often. Morality is commanded, maturity is invited. And I do believe that there are, if we're going to do a full-on Bible study verse by verse, there is so much in these 12 verses. But I want to draw on the three key themes that I think that Peter is addressing that I would say falls under the idea of, okay, in the mess, in exile, as foreigners, in the middle of persecution and opposition and messiness, we are still called to grow. We are called to mature in spite of suffering, in spite of mystery, in spite of the unknown. There is still an invitation to mature. And so the first way that I think he's addressing that we are to mature personally uh, or to mature is simply to grow personally, to grow personally. Take a look at verse 2. He says, like newborn babies, you must crave spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of your salvation. And again, we addressed this a couple of weeks ago. Salvation, it, it, it is a once-off a once moment in that there's new life. You, you become alive. But it's also an ongoing, that's spiritually speaking, there's also an ongoing process of salvation as we are maturing, as we are becoming more whole, becoming increasingly healed. Crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow in full, in the, into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Now, I don't know if you've read this passage before. For years, I would have read this and, and thought that it's, that it's referring to kind of like an entry-level uh, type of nutrition, like, you know, getting the foundations right as a, as a new believer, as a new Christian. Like, let's crave, I, I kind of focus more on the let's crave spiritual milk as a baby would, as though, as though this is for young people. But commentators have suggested, which makes a lot of sense to me, if you read the bulk of Scripture, that this, that this isn't so much, that this is not actually referring to kind of like just the, the infant's formula to begin with. The emphasis is actually on the attitude of hunger. Just like a baby. Those of you that have had babies or been around babies, you know that there's nothing polite about them. When they get hungry, they're hungry. Right? They'll, there is such an appetite for food. There's such an appetite for nutrition. And I think that Peter is saying, guys, the only way that you're going to survive persecution, that you're going to survive living, in a, living as exiles, the only way you're going to survive opposition, the only way you're going to survive in the mess, the only way that you're going to mature is to actually maintain a hunger, an appetite, like a, like a baby that is craving pure milk. Now, again, I imagine most of you would know that when a baby is hungry, you don't go through McDonald's drive-thru. Right? We wait until we're a little bit older and our emotions kick in. And then we eat whatever we want. We eat stuff that we would never feed our animals because we really care about their diet. Right? Again, most of us know that 
the easiest way to distract our appetite for that which is life-giving is to feed on that which is junk. So, so Jason, how do I stimulate a hunger for God like a newborn baby? Well, I would say it starts with us trying to cut out some of the junk. And the more we cut out junk, the more of an appetite we have for what truly satisfies, for what truly nourishes us. And again, scholars and translators um, argue that, that probably, most likely, what Peter's referring to here in terms of this, that pure spiritual milk is actually the Bible, it's the Word of God, which can feed and nourish a brand new believer as well as a believer that has been saved for decades and is still trying to follow Jesus. It, they, it, it continues to satisfy the most, at the most deeply complex level and at the most simple level, you cannot plumb the full depths of God's word. It continues to satisfy and nourish, but it begins with an appetite, and for us to have that appetite, if we're gonna grow, if you look back a year to a year ago or two years ago, and you can't see any difference in your life, this, this isn't to throw any shade on you. This isn't for you to walk out with guilt and shame. This is for you to pay attention. If there's no significant change, if the people closest to you would not say, that you are increasingly loving and patient and kind and peaceful and joyful and self-controlled, then there's a good chance that we are living on a very unhealthy diet. We are not being nourished. It also requires exercise, I'll just say. Like any baby getting the best food in the world that just stays put looks like a hippo after a while, right? Anyone? Okay, let me not get too distracted. If you, know, if you know Madison, uh, our youngest, she, she is this skinny, athletic-looking young lady. And she was born looking a little bit odd, like proportionally speaking, and then, and then she suddenly looked like a hippo. Like she just had like rolls, roll, like, like, like rolls on her legs. And then, the moment, and then the moment she was able to actually start moving around, like she just went lean and mean, and she burns jet fuel, in my opinion, lots of energy. Um, so, so it is the right nutrition, but it's also exercise. Exercise is obeying the Word of God. It's not just feeding on it, it's obeying it. He, he alludes to Psalm 34 verse 8, which says that we ought to taste and see that the Lord is good. Peter is suggesting, I think, that we will want to do what verse 1 and 2 say. Verse 1 is to let, let's get rid of everything that is evil, everything that's destructive, and, and let's, let's nurture that appetite for, for that which is life-giving, that which is nourishing, because in verse 3 he makes reference to, to the fact that we've experienced God's goodness. Like, we've actually had a taste. And, and I'm very aware that not everybody here or listening to this would, would be in a relationship with Jesus, but if you are, there's a good chance that you've had a taste of his goodness. You've had a taste of his kindness. And so, this, and so without this motive, getting rid of stuff and trying to feed on the right stuff can just become another to-do list. But for us to be reminded of the purpose, the, the motive that we have experienced his goodness. So number one, we are to grow personally. But number two, we are also to build together. There's a temptation that, that, if, we are, that if we are taking our own personal maturity seriously, that, that it there's always a fine line and a tension that we have to manage where, where we have to avoid it becoming a self-centered, consumed, it's just me and the Lord and 
nobody else. There's, there's a sense of, wait, wait, if I'm loving God, and if I'm allowing Him to love me, and I'm responding by loving Him back, one of the greatest signs is that my love for people will increase. My love for imperfect people. My love for imperfect people in a church context or other fellow believers, but also a love for people that don't believe what you believe, that don't think like you think, that don't behave like you behave. And for me, that's tested quite regularly in traffic. I had, yes, I had someone yesterday giving me the international sign of displeasure <laughs> as he pulled out in front of me, and I hooted at him. I didn't give him the international sign of displeasure. I just gave him the, like, are oh, you stupid hands? Like, like, and he gave me the, you know, as he continued to drive off in his million-rand car. I'm like, so I'm like, God, can I love? Like, help me to love. Help me to be patient. Traffic, traffic tests my, my love. Anyway, that's getting distracted. We are to build together. Peter says in verse five, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. This is, this is using Old Testament language from, from when there was a nation of Israel and, and priests were set apart. He's like, no, no. Now, now every single follower is actually a priest. Every man, every woman, you are a priest that is working at helping build the spiritual temple, his kingdom. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. The ultimate purpose of priesthood is to offer God spiritual sacrifices. If you're familiar at all with, with any of the stories from the Old Testament and what priests would do, they, they, it was part of worship. It, there were sacrifices. It's, as a priest and priestess, we are, we are called to offer God sacrifices, in worship, praise, obedience. The difference, though, between, between sacrifices in the Old Testament, which were typically animals, birds, etc., um, sometimes even grain, and the difference between followers of Jesus now is that you have a choice. You're a living sacrifice, Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1. You're a living sacrifice. So we can hop off the altar anytime we like and try and get back on and hop back off and try and get back on. We have a choice. We are called to offer spiritual sacrifices. Again, scholars suggest that, that there's no one example necessarily of what that is, but Peter, uh, they, they, they suggest, might be alluding to some of these examples later on in, verse, uh, in chapter 4, verse 7, where he makes reference to things like prayer and a deep love for one another and hospitality as we share our homes and and help people that need a meal or a place to stay. Or in verse 10, a well-known passage where, where he's given all of us spiritual gifts and we are to use them to serve one another well. These are some examples of spiritual sacrifices. How do we build together? How do we build his spiritual temple, his kingdom? It is through loving one another, through prayer, through hospitality, loving people, and through using our spiritual gifts to actually serve one another. If you're a, man, I wanna remind you, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you less. Full stop. However, there is a response that I think that generates in us. And I am burdened by how many followers of Jesus miss out on 
what it is to experience being used by God when you submit your life to his purposes and, and when we allow him to use the spiritual gifts that he's given us, which are, which are not for us. There's nothing about a spiritual gift that God has given us that is for us. It is for others. It is to serve others. So I would suggest that any believer that is sitting in a community of faith that is not using their gifts are going to land up with muscular atrophy. They're gonna be anemic. There's, there's gonna be a deficiency. God, still, God will not love you more. He can't love you more. I'm just saying that you're not experiencing the fullness of walking in his purposes if we are not actually building together. Over the years, as I've read this passage, I've, I've often had this image of a, of a, I mean, he talks about spiritual stones because back in the day, stones were used instead of bricks to build you know, buildings. And so I've often had this, this picture of a stone or a brick in the middle of a field, or let's say the park across the road of the church. A brick just in the middle of a field actually serves no purpose. In fact, if you think about it, chances are it's going to cause pain for someone. Someone's going to trip over it. But you put enough bricks together in the hands of a master builder, and you can build buildings. You can build hospitals. You can build clinics, you can build schools, you can build homes, you can build places of shelter. I'm telling you, if there's one thing that I think the enemy does everything he can to distract and deceive followers of Jesus from, it's this idea that actually we are better together. That, that what we are a part of is so much bigger than the part I play. So don't undervalue the part you play because every single part is needed. Every single brick is needed. And if we would surrender ourselves into his hands, oh man, what a privilege that we get to be used by him, that we get to build together, that we get to be a part of what he's doing this side of eternity. And by the way, just to be clear, Peter is using unity language. He's, make, he's making reference to plural. He's saying that, he's saying that, that you're built together. He's referring to stones with lots of S's, not Z's. Stones, priests, okay? It's, this is plural language. This is unity language. And just so you know, I'm not on a hobby horse because I, I have an agenda. I'm, I am actually deeply grateful for the participation of our congregation. I am grateful. We have so many people that serve beautifully and are making a difference. We are deeply grateful to every single person that, that gives, that trusts us with any finances. And I know that it's only gonna be one day that we're gonna be able to see how God used all of that to actually build something together. Literally this week, because of your giving, those of you that give, and your serving, and especially those that they were able to take some time out to come and serve this week, we were able to serve pastors that represent about 15,000 people in our country through a laser-focused couple of days of encouragement, training, worship. There was even a beautiful moment of just some prophetic words of encouragement to individuals that we hosted on behalf of the AOG. We couldn't do that 
without your giving and your participating in your service and, and us building together. I think of a lady that I met earlier this week who, again, I wasn't sure if she was here for the event or something else. It turned out she wasn't. She dropped her grandson off at school and had nobody go, so, <clears throat> and it was raining. This was on Thursday. It was raining heavily. The wind was blowing, and so she was just looking for a place to, st- to sit and wait for her child, for her grandchild to go through the whole school day so that she could pick him up again and take him back home because they have no place to stay at this moment. They were staying with some friends in Parklands. And so they, she, she can't afford to take an Uber back there and back here, etc. Anyway, the bottom line, though, is I felt like it was such a beautiful moment of being able to provide shelter, some really good coffee, but, but more important than that was love. People were able to sit with her, talk with her, encourage her. Um, we looked into solutions for her and her husband uh, and, and grandson, while they were waiting for a place that they were going to be seeing yesterday, uh, trying to find a place for them to, and, and ultimately she, she found a place and got sorted out. But I'm saying, if, if these bricks weren't together, if, if people's giving over the years and we, didn't, and, and we weren't able to open our doors and facilitate, I'm just telling you, it's, I know that all these things might seem very simple by themselves, but it all builds together. It all builds together. You have no idea. Some of the Life change that's taking place behind us right now as people are just loving on tots, serving kids. We don't, we don't get lots of stories often, but, 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 but recently we've just been sent a few voice notes from kids, so parents recording their kids explaining the experience that they've had in kids' church, how they have sensed God, sensed God loving them, sensed God encouraging them. And, like, and if, if you know some of the stories that some of, the kids, some of our kids come from, man, I am grateful that we get to be a part of something bigger than simply the part we play and that, and that, and that for people that are allowing God to use them, that he's, that he's building a spiritual temple. And everyone has a role, whether it's someone that's part of a welcome team. Uh, you, you may not realize the significance of people that are serving behind a computer or a sound desk or a coffee machine right now, but it all builds together. It all builds together. We had some of our volunteers out in the rain on Thursday, um, like just trying to put up some of the banners and, and trying to direct traffic and welcome people. It might not feel deeply spiritual, but it's spiritual. We've had so many messages from those that attended as to how grateful they were for the way that they were hosted, the, the way that our volunteers um, served. Guys, together, God is trying to build something. What a privilege. What a, what a pleasure. So he uses identity language. I believe he uses unity language when, when, he, when he makes reference to the fact that he's building us. To, this is not, you cannot be a one man or a one woman band and serve God's purposes. You just can't. We need one another, which is why it also requires so much humility. It takes so much humility to put up with, with each other's imperfections. Now, by the way, I just want to clarify, like there is a difference between dealing with one another's imperfections and someone being blatantly divisive and destructive. Just to be clear, that's a different story. But guys, most of the time, we're just dealing with our own stuff and working through our own maturity issues and, and having to have some tough conversations and speak the truth in love and grow 
together. So, we ought to grow personally. He's trying to build us together. And then lastly, another way for us to mature in the mess is to behave honorably. And I want to, perhaps, before I say anything else, emphasize that this doesn't mean that you're going to behave perfectly, but I do think that we can behave honorably that when we make mistakes, we are quick to own it and to apologize. I actually don't think people have anywhere near as much a problem with someone messing up and owning it as what they do with someone messing up. Everyone can see it, but then it's duck, cover, deny, blame, defend, and we just double down and try and get out of it. People, I think people will, res- I think people respect imperfection that has, you know, humility attached to it. Our actions, the way we live, according to these passages that we're looking at, should refute people's prejudices against followers of Jesus. Not confirm them. Not add to them. That doesn't, doesn't mean that we're going to agree on everything. We don't. I'm, tell, I'm telling you now that if, you, if you're trying to follow Jesus and you're trying to understand and, and respond to God's way, we will not agree on everything. But we can live in a way that is honorable and makes it really hard to confirm people's prejudices. And I believe that we are to behave honorably so that people will honor God. Not so that, not so that they'll be deeply impressed with you, although I think it helps. I also don't want us to be so silly that we, that we think we're being so humble that we don't want people to think well of us. No, I think it's okay for people to think well of you. I think that's important, but for them to understand eventually that this is connected to God. We behave honorably so that people will honor God. Again, going back to verse 10, it says, once you had no identity as a people, now you're God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you've received mercy. Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires and wage war against your very souls. He's saying, again, he's reminding us there's a war, there's stuff that's fighting against us. Let's, let's do everything we can to keep away from that stuff. Remember, if we keep away from the junk, we will have a better appetite for that which is healthy. And then here's the part that we're finishing off with, verse 12. Be careful to live properly among unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong. So even if you're accused. They will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Or the New International Version puts that verse this way. Live such good lives among the pagans. Don't worry, this is like old language. Please don't call anyone a pagan. It's not a good idea in 2023, okay? That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We should live exceptional lives. We should live humble, godly, honorable, loving, gentle lives so that people can actually get to see how good God is. If we want to mature in the mess, let's, let's not be surprised by it. Let's, let's not feel like victims, even though you may be a victim in, in stuff. But let's, let's step back and say, God, how are you wanting me to grow personally? What can I do to make sure that my appetite is for that which is actually life-giving? How do you want me to grow personally? God, how are you inviting me to build together? And these are questions that I want you to reflect on for a few moments because we're going to take part in communion in, in a minute or two. And as we take part in communion, I'm wanting you to, to just allow the Holy Spirit, basically to have an attitude that says, God, if there's anything that you are pointing out to me, if you haven't already, 
If you have, then just kind of confirm it. Let us settle in. But if there's anything that you're trying to point out to me, help me not to miss it. As we think through God, is there any step that you wanted me to take in terms of growing personally, building together? That might mean you might have to even apologize to someone in the church. I know that surprises some people. Like, what do you mean you'd have to apologize to someone? If you've never had to apologize to anyone, chances are you've never served long enough with other human beings, even in a church context. Or it might mean that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to actually get involved, to actually find out. Is there some, some way to just experiment in serving somewhere, anywhere? Or maybe there's something in connection to God encouraging you to behave honorably. Again, maybe it's, maybe it's apologizing to someone at work, maybe it's apologizing to a neighbor, maybe it's apologizing to, to someone at home, or, or maybe it's about actually making an adjustment to something that you're doing or have done so that we are living honorably. 